Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. We've got a really interesting guest today. I've got Dr. Scott Clack, and he graduated from Bastyr University in Seattle, Washington in 1997. He practiced there for a couple years, and then he went home, went back to Canada. And, you know, it's interesting because this is your second career, right, Dr. Clack? Yes, it is. So how Um, did you find your way into the, the natural doctor world? So I admit at that time, even though I was only in my early 30s, I was kind of looking for a new direction in my career. And um, I, at the time, there were two things that happened. I met a person who, he was an environmental engineer, and he had been seconded out of his job because he was very physically active, um, was actually one uh, team member of a championship dragon boat team, dragon boat racing team. When I lived in Vancouver, BC at the time, and uh, dragon boating was just becoming popular there. So I got to get to know this gentleman through my wife, and uh, it turned out that his job, he was being seconded to work uh, as part of an employee wellness campaign in the uh, BC, in the hydro utility company there in BC. And I thought, well, that's really cool, you know, where somebody can be working all day to um, work with other people, convincing them to get healthier and healthier through exercise and lifestyle. And I thought, you know, that was starting to become very attractive to me as an option. And then at the same time, my wife was under treatment with her naturopathic doctor, uh, trying to get help for migraine headaches, which she had been suffering from for a number of years. They would seem to hit her every week, and even worse, they would hit her every weekend. And so <clears throat> we would end up losing a one day of the weekend just to her dealing with the migraine headache. The second day of the weekend, her recovering from the side effects of the pain meds that she was given for the migraines. And interestingly, after everything that she had tried with medical doctors, massage therapists, she consulted a naturopathic doctor who was also a chiropractor. There was a big suspicion that a very serious car accident that she'd had maybe was with some of the lingering injuries was the cause. But even in his chiropractic work, there was no change in her migraines. Long story short, he decided to put her on an elimination diet because he thought maybe food sensitivities or food intolerances were causing uh, and triggering her migraines. And a month after changing her diet, her migraines started going away. Um, There was a diet that took out wheat, it took out dairy, I think it took out uh, corn and possibly citrus. And it was just fantastic that within this four to six week period, her migraine headaches went away. And I went, that's what I'm interested in, Um, you know, and seeing something like that. And so I dabbled in with what was it going to take to be trained as a naturopathic doctor? Unfortunately, in Vancouver, uh, Seattle, uh, Bastyr University was only two hours away. 
and I thought at uh, 33 years of age, this is something worth going back to school for. My wife was really pleased with what help she was getting from her naturopath, so she said, yeah, go back to school and do this, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Well, you know, when you see change like that, and, and you, you, it's your family, it's your wife, it has such an impact because, you know, I love your story because I got into doing what I do because one of my boys got hit by a car and, mm-hmm. you know, we got through it okay initially. And then three years later, you're, when, you're, when your kid comes to you and you says, mom, you got to help me, my brain's not working anymore. It's, it gets your attention. Yeah, well, I know, like, uh, when uh, my wife had to do the elimination diet, and it was such a big change, it didn't make sense in, in our household to have two different diets. So I tagged along and did the elimination diet with her, um, taking out various foods, and it was interesting how my energy went up. And at that point, I had started into more at a recreational level um, quasi competitively, I had gotten involved with the dragon boat racing too through this this friend of ours, and I saw my energy go up. I was uh, better able to handle the multiple workouts per week that I was doing, and and particularly through changing my diet, my sinuses cleared up, and and then that had been a big problem with getting enough you know air into my you know and oxygen into my body when I was. Uh, either doing a race or working out and all of that coming through again just gave more to showing me that there's a lot that's known in complementary and alternative medicine that really brings some very valuable options to people and and many Canadians and Americans still don't get exposure to those kinds of things unless they're investigating them themselves. You know they don't and I think what I've had clients say is when we talk about diet changes, they think it's going to be so hard to do. They think it's going to just rule their world. How hard was it for you? I mean, it sounds like you jumped on the bandwagon because it was the easiest thing to do. I think when, you know, I both my wife and I approached the elimination diet with a very positive attitude. Um and when the results were seen so quickly, it was so easy for me to say, we're sticking with this. And then as a naturopathic doctor for 24 years, the patients I enjoy, I mean, I enjoy dealing with all of my patients, but the ones who get behind some of these ideas and I, what I typically counsel people on about elimination diets is I don't think a lot of my colleagues actually do it this way, but I tell my patients it only takes two weeks to start to see the changes come through. If you can get through that, you know, change your diet 80 to 90%, grind it through for two weeks, you'll see if there's a noticeable change, you're feeling better, your symptoms are starting to be relieved, um, you know, then you know that foods are having that much impact on your body uh, in ways that aren't being explained to you by other healthcare providers. And then where I really love it is when the patient comes back, uh, you know, because I'll typically say, okay, start changing your diet, start reintroducing some foods after three or four weeks. 
the patients who say to me, I don't want to, I'm loving the way that I feel, I'm going to stay with this a while longer, is that okay? I say, absolutely, stay with that and we'll just keep working and balancing out to make sure that your diet has all the nutritional elements that you need. And, you know, that's where I will team up with a great um, holistic nutritionist or dietitian to make sure that the person has a healthy diet, but now it's it's also a healthful diet. So if you're going to have a positive impact, you'll see it by two weeks? In most of my patients, I would say yes. You can see that change. It's interesting because um, I think with a lot of the training that we get as naturopathic doctors, the thinking is that the elimination diet needs to be a minimum of six weeks, possibly even 12. And in two of the key um, patient populations that I deal with, namely children and teens, as well as seniors or elders, um, it's really hard to set that expectation for those people to think that, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to do this for at least three weeks, three months. And, and, you know, that impression is they've got to go at least that long. Whereas if I can say to them, and this is 24 years of clinical experience, um, popping in and saying, no, if you can see those results in two to three weeks and those results are, uh, effective enough, then, um, you know, from there, it's just the patient saying, I like how I feel. I can do this. Plus, then I start to educate them that this is not going to be permanent. You, uh, you know, where the, the big uh, food sensitivities uh, are wheat, dairy products, sugars, corn, eggs, and citrus fruits. I tell people, you're not going to be off these forever. They will come back into your diet. We'll work at this over time. But for now, we're focused on taking away one of the biggest reasons and most invisible reasons as to why this is happening. And as we go through this, it's also great where sometimes a patient will be reintroducing a food and they'll get a very strong symptomatic response that can only be explained by reintroducing the food. Um, So when you mirror it and they can see like, wow, okay, the food's causing this again, it gets them more convinced that, all right, there's something to this. We'll change the diet. We'll follow Dr. Clack's instructions, and they just keep going. Well, I'm amazed because I've had a lot of conversations around nutrition, and only from the standpoint of how important it is to feed the brain properly. Mm-hmm. And I get so much pushback, you know. Mm-hmm. I can't. And a lot of times it's so interesting. I had a a lady, we were talking about her diet and, well, I can't stop cooking fried chicken. You know, my family has to have it. And and my response was, no, your family does not have to have it. You think your family has to have it. Um, Mm -hmm. But just food is for so many people, food is comfort, food is security, food is is a lot more than just eating. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I have, um, I was very fortunate uh, when I was both doing my naturopathic training at this year. And and during that time, I had to do some precepting, um, you know, 
oh, uh, shadowing other healthcare providers, you know, most of them naturopathic doctors. And I put a big chunk of my preceptoring time to shadowing a naturopathic doctor uh, from North Vancouver. I think he's still practicing these days. Um, his name is John Matson. And years ago, he wrote a book called Eating Alive. And then he's done, he had done a second version and called Eating Alive too. But in that, he explained how much from a naturopathic perspective things worked in the body and where it was tied to diet and how foods and food sensitivities were affecting things and how people could get back being healthier. It's such a great book because it explains it so well, so easily uh, in normal terms that every, you know, any person who's not medically trained can understand. And then he uses a lot of case examples in the books to show how many different health problems would be tied in again to diet and food sensitivities and how just going through the process of unmasking them and showing people the potential. I mean, when I was precepting with Dr. Matson, um, he would always uh, I'd be sitting and I would never quite know what the patient's ailments were. Finally figured out a way to learn that um, while I was there. And there would be, you know, just a myriad of health problems that the first thing Dr. Matson would do is have them tested for their food sensitivities, put them on an elimination diet, and then treat liver dysfunction through putting them on herbs like milk thistle or other liver cleansing formulas and a month later they would come back and 95% of the time or more the person would be feeling better. Wow. And that could be for musculoskeletal complaints, it could be for depression or anxiety, it could be for skin disorders, but it 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 all tied together. And you know, so I had the benefit of those experiences and and so dealing with food sensitivities on top of what I had experienced myself and in, in my wife's case, you know, it just, it became natural. Here's the starting point to helping people get better. And really, I think the the big thing around where we suffer from food sensitivities today that our great, great, great grandparents didn't, it's it's the quality of our food supply and where we have so much processed foods um, in our diets, even what we consider natural foods like wheat. I mean, um, you know, the books like Wheat Belly by Dr. Davis, um, they do such a good job of describing how wheat has changed and it's not the same today that it was 50 years ago. And those chemical changes are, are part of why we react to that. Dairy's got a similar story to it. And and then in my work, I, as I said, I work with kids, and one of the segments I work with is autistic children. And I learned how casein um, can become and turn into an opiate-like compound that affects the brain. And it actually can make us addicted to needing to have those foods in our diet. But on top of that, it brings about some negative effects. So... When you see all the different ways, when I've learned all the different ways that foods can negatively affect our health, 
yeah, it, it's it's something basic we need to live with. So we, I view it as a naturopathic doctor. Let's fix it right at the beginning. And hopefully so, the patients will come along and, and agree to do that. Well, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned how weed and how dairy, it's all changed so much. And, I mean, to me, our dirt has changed so much. We've mm. so We've so overworked it. How could we grow? The type of the of the quality of food that we used to grow. Exactly, and and you know now where we when you and I spoke a little bit earlier this week and touched on um, you know where we're concerned about the health of the brain, but neurotransmitters actually while they're active and have their greatest effect in the brain, a lot of our neurotransmitters that keep us happy or make us feel satisfied, come from our digestive tract. You know, they're actually made, uh, you know, serotonin as an example is made in the digestive tract and then has to get to the brain. So if you don't have a good functioning digestive tract with the right bacteria that help break things down, make nutrients, make the amino acid building blocks for making neurotransmitters, then sure, your brain's going to suffer. So, you know, that soil that we've has become uh, devoid of nutrition, that's not helping us. And our diets are less and less um, carrying the good bacteria that we need to keep our guts healthy to keep all this function and all this neurotransmitter production on the right side. Well, and I think, you know, that sounds so basic, but that's truly where it starts. And one of the things that I really, I saw somewhere on your website, combining modern medical science with time-proven healing methods. And time-proven healing methods, I would think that all starts with what you eat. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's uh, back to the basic lifestyles, again, where... Most naturopathic doctors want to start their patients out with having a healthy diet, sleeping well, um, exercising, and doing things that give them good mental uh, health, whether it's through spiritual practice or mindfulness, just something that keeps the mental side healthy. If you're taking care of those basics, the body gets more into a position of being able to heal itself. And, and again, in these times, we're learning more and more about the uh, negative effects of chronic stress um, and how that brings down our health, where, you know, many holistic practitioners these days, there are training is to first look at that stress level because it's there for most of us. If you don't get that out of the way, you're going to have a harder time fixing the real problems that are behind the symptoms. So it's a contributing factor. And this is where it's so important to sit down with a patient and not just talk about their symptoms, but talk about what their lifestyle is and figure out what could we improve? Do it in a way that's easy for for some patients. I mean, yeah, there will be some people that want to take three months to implement something that other people can do in one to two weeks. So you you have to meet the patient where they're at. 
um, you know, and just with the ones that are going to take a little bit longer, give them the right motivation and encouragement. And um, as my wife's naturopathic doctor, who was one of my mentors, said is, you just need to keep finding something in the beginning that gets them feeling better. As long as they're feeling better, they're going to keep working with you. That's true. I, you know, I know you do a lot of work with the autistic world. Mm-hmm. And I've worked within that that world myself. And one of the things that is such a big deal for a lot of the, the kids that I've worked with, it's texture. And their mm-hmm. diet is so limited because, and it, and it may not be, that I don't, then they're not focused on the taste as much as they are focused on the texture of how the food feels. And I have found that, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget one of the first autistic kids that I worked with and very could not speak at all. And mm-hmm. we started doing neurofeedback and we got to the point where he was starting to make some sounds and his mom, mom comes in one day and she's like, Oh my gosh, We've just had the best thing happen. I said, oh, my God, what did he say? What did he say? And she said, he didn't say anything. And I said, oh, okay. Well, what happened? And she said, well, I have five kids, Lee. And the only thing that he will eat is vanilla yogurt. Do you know how hard it is to travel with five kids when and always have access to vanilla yogurt? And I was like, well, you know, no, I don't. And she said, he's opened up. I mean, he'll eat like four or five things now. And for her, that was such a big deal. Absolutely. How do do you work with that community? I mean, because how do you get past that? So what I learned in what tends to be referred to as the biomedical approach is there are some, you know, basic underlying problems um, with detoxification and particularly with what's referred to as methylation. Um, There's mitochondrial dysfunction where the the cellular energy just isn't coming together properly. And that can be a really big factor um, in kids that struggle with that texture issue because Eating something hard and crunchy is fine for one of them, but for another kid, it's very awkward. And it's maybe because they can't get their their mouth and jaw working um, because energetically the muscles are just not up to chomping down on something. Um, the um, nutritional deficiencies in things like B vitamins, certain B vitamins, or a deficiency in magnesium, those can all come together as part of the the sensory issues that the kids have around eating. And so where I typically will put them, put the kids on uh, a special diet, uh, gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free is my usual starting point. And then I get them started on, if I'm taking dairy out, I'm putting them on to a calcium and magnesium supplement to replace some of the calcium lost from the dairy being gone. Um, You know, some of the other supplements they get into as well as the fish oil. And I'd say 50% of the time, if a child has been having sensory issues with food up to that point, 
it's going to be starting to decline again. And the child's going to start to open up to trying uh, more foods, other foods, you know, um, trying out maybe new foods with new textures that they never would have been considered, they never would have been considered to try before. Um, and also when you change the, and, and eliminate the gluten and the casein, you're also potentially taking away that opiate-like addictive factor around dairy products and wheat. And when that's gone, uh, all of a sudden the child's body intuitively knows, I got to start eating other things. And now they'll start, they'll start trying other things. So, you know, some kids, can get a good breakthrough within three to six months. Some of them are going to be a little bit more stubborn. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got a couple of minutes left before we go to break. So let's kind of let's kind of give people our listeners what are the takeaways around the nutritional aspect of health. I think the real takeaways are let your mind open up. Let your mind you know, consider that, um, you know, if you want to use an analogy of if you don't, if you put bad gasoline into your car, the car's engine's eventually going to falter. Um, so if you're not putting good food into your body, your body is going to start to falter. Um, you know, and I think most people intuitively know that the processed foods they're eating, the fast foods they're eating aren't good for them. But like that case you cited earlier, they have trouble getting away from that. But they can just trust their um, trust their intuition, uh, or as we can use the pun here, trust their gut. And, you know, find somebody who really knows their way around healthy nutrition, whether it's a naturopathic doctor or a good holistic nutritionist. I mean, there are some great holistic chiropractors out there that know this stuff, even some great holistic medical doctors. They just need to find the right person who can hold their hand properly, get them through, you know, and whether it's small steps or big steps, it's just finding out what's the right, what's the right mix. But it's, you know, small changes, what seem to be small changes can make profound effects in a relatively short period of time. And then that can take the person and carry them on. And, you know, there are, there's, as a second takeaway, there's a lot of good knowledge there to, that shows we're understanding where the modern diet got off the rails in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And it's bringing us back. So whether it's something like a paleo diet or just getting on board and understanding what a good Mediterranean diet is. You can do that. Last takeaway, definitely. Go out and have some fun with food every once in a while. We all deserve a treat. Um, so, you know, once you make some changes and get feeling better, having a treat every once in a while, that's just human. <laughs> well, that's just, that's a great thought to leave people with as we go out to break. I love that because I think that we need to reward and, and understand the goodness of food as well as the negative. Yeah. We'll be back after these messages. 
Are you happy with your life? Satisfied with the direction you're taking? More importantly, are you content with the results you're seeing? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join host Brian K. Wright as he talks to experts in many areas relating to life success, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. Each week is a dose of inspiration. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. Success Profiles Radio is a show that will clearly demonstrate the principle, if I can do it, you can do it. So don't miss this opportunity to take control of your life and your results. Success Profiles Radio with Brian K. Wright, Mondays at 5 p.m. Central. It's marching Well, the U.S. sure has experienced torrential thunderstorms, lightning, and flooding recently. Thunderstorms, otherwise known as cockeyed bobs, can be pretty scary. What's the fear of thunder and lightning called? Astrophobia. Years ago, Roy Sullivan, a Virginia Park Ranger, was struck by lightning seven different times and lived to tell about it. Lightning struck his head through his hat, set his hair on fire, and burned his eyebrows off. The current from the lightning traveled through both legs and blew his shoes off. The final lightning bolt hit him while fishing, and he was hospitalized for chest and stomach burns. Believe it or not, Roy Sullivan managed to recover from seven lightning strikes, but later died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound as a result of loneliness, otherwise known as azagophrenia. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back, and I've got Dr. Scott Clack with me, and he is one of a kind in some ways. I mean, he his focus is really combining modern medical science with time-proven healing methods. And we were talking before the break, we were talking about how important nutrition is to your physical health and to your mental health. And I kind of, mental health is kind of the world that I live in. So let's talk a little bit about mental health and how that that equals mental wellness. I think you had a blog on your website about that. Yes, I did. And uh, again, like anything that I've encountered as a naturopathic doctor, um, many, uh, let's call it symptoms or conditions, usually have multifactorial, multiple factors um, involved with them. So, uh, you know, we're certainly seeing higher rates of mental health problems in teens or adolescents these days. And, I mean, here we are at uh, 22 months into a pandemic, and I'd say just about everybody's feeling a little bit stretched, Um Uh, to say the least, on the mental health side. And, you know, one of the biggest factors that's going to come in uh, to creating that increased mental health problem is stress. And, you know, when we're constantly under restrictions, lockdowns, uh, we certainly are here up here in in Canada these days. Um, You know, people are just 
feeling frustrated with not being able to do their normal thing. And yet I know for myself, um, my partner, um, a lot of people that I stay in touch with, everybody is finding some unique ways to keep quality of life going, even in the midst of those restrictions. So it's keeping that that mental health level of anxiety or depression down and under control. So, you know, it's thinking outside the box. What what can we do to make this uh, better? And if it's if it isn't better, then can we crunch in and try to figure out where uh, things like neurotransmitters are out of balance? Well, it, and I've seen in my practice, I mean, the psychological impact of the quarantine and the economic stress and the job loss. I mean, mm-hmm. we have all been introduced to stress in a brand new way. You know, we've mm-hmm. met stress on a level that we've just never met before. And what I have found, it's the fear. I mean, people are, are they're grieving. I want my normal back. I want my mm-hmm. normal back. And now we've been it so long, I'm starting to hear clients say, I'm not sure what normal is. Well, and and sure, it's been lost in there. And as I reflect a bit in in my own way, one of the things, this is a great area where I think people learning some mindfulness techniques and even more so learning gratitude. Um, I've had a few people help me through this um, uh, in a way to be able to reposition um, where we're at in life. And and, um, I will share with you, this is to some degree a little bit of a shocking story, but uh, in January 2020, my wife passed away. And and then the um, pandemic sets in two months later. And it was very difficult, you know, being kind of locked in at home, not being able to connect with people. But I was very fortunate uh, later in the year to be introduced, um, sort of referred to a mindfulness program. And I went through, it was an eight-week course, um, so I learned even more than I knew already as a naturopathic doctor about mindfulness. And one of the key components in that training led me to um, re- being sure that I reflected with gratitude. And so going back and seeing, seeing all the things that I actually had uh, that more often I think we take for granted, and then going through the process and kind of doing the exercises of expressing my gratitude for the things that I have, the people that I have in my life. Um, even when things aren't great, you can see the good things that are there and that puts you into a better state and you realize that, okay, I can hack this out with the restrictions, the limitations, because really my life's not all that bad. I don't know what you have, well, how you feel about something like that, if you might reflect oh, the same way. Absolutely. I mean, research shows us that we have three times more of a positive events in our day than negative. But what does the brain hold on to? The negative. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. that that brain is biologically the same brain pretty much 
that it was going back thousands of years ago, you know, where there you walked out and it was eat or be eaten. And now the bandwidth that our brain needs to operate at has intensified. And when we, what do we remember? The one negative. So one exercise that I ask my clients to do is every day, stop and recall three good things that happened to you. Now, they're never big things. Oh, you know, the, they let me go in front of them at the grocery store because I only had one thing. Oh, I got the nicest email from someone I haven't heard from in a while. Oh, that lady held the door for me. I mean, they're little things. They're not huge, but they can have huge impact if you can recognize them and then be grateful and appreciate the goodness that they bring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is also a good time, Lee, where people, if they are either not using natural medicines to help with, let's say, some mood support, reducing anxiety, whatever the person's dealing with, um, if they're maybe not in that area or they're not dealing with natural medicines at all, this is a good opportunity to get some help. I mean, certainly there may be some people out there that might need more of something that in, in, as a prescription medicine to get their mood uplifted. But the point I want to make here is there are great herbal medicines like uh, passion flower, um, St. John's wort, uh, lavender, you know, and there's some great supplements that have super research, medical or scientific research to show how they can help people with anxiety or depression. And very often I work with patients to say, okay, you, you're struggling with anxiety or depression. Let's use these herbs. Let's use these supplements for three months. Let's get you feeling better. Let's get your mood lifted and elevated, get you into a better place. And then some of the other stuff that you need to do to work on eliminating the real source of your stresses, it'll actually become easier to do that um, and, and work through that as opposed to where they're just there and they're, they're taking that mindfulness work and they just can't feel themselves getting started with it at all, so they don't. So a little aid for a short period of time certainly isn't going to hurt. And Absolutely. Sometimes you need a bridge to get from one side of the road to the other. Yeah. And, and because so much of this is actually being triggered by the high level of stress and the overproduction, the constant production of cortisol in our body that can block or interfere with other things. This is also, again, another great opportunity for people to experience the benefits of natural medicines because there are a lot of great herbs and supplements that can help balance out the, the effects of stress hormones. So sometimes even a combination of, say, using um, herbs like ashwagandha or rhodiola along with um, a good quality B-complex and maybe some of those herbs that I mentioned earlier, put that together in a program, use it for three months, in you know, giving people that window to feel better and then being able to tackle more. And when they feel like, wow, now I'm tackling more. Now I, 
now I feel like going out and, you know, learning to do that sourdough bread cooking that everybody else got to, but I didn't, or just being, you know, comfortable with doing some, you know, Sudoku puzzles to preoccupy themselves because there's nothing else to do because they can't go out to the gym. Um, you know, if they can get themselves into that better mental space, enduring through, um, and enduring through this pandemic, I think will become easier. For, for those that don't have access to a good naturopathic doctor, are there, you mentioned a book in the first half of the show and it was eating, eating alive. Thank you. Uh, so for those that need some resources that they can access on their own, that book, what else would you mention? Oh, let me see. <laughs> there are several, and this is where I hadn't anticipated that question. Um, there, there are some books out on stress management. Uh, there's a book called Adrenal Fatigue. Um, just looking it up as we're yakking here. And... It was written by a naturopathic doctor about 20 years ago. Um, just trying to find his name, but uh, we'll see as we're going along here. But that's, it's a, again, it's a great book because it, in a very simple way, explains how stress affects the body, um, the mind, um, and they, um, yeah, there's, there's, so if, if people can get a book like that, read through it, they'll be able to see some herbs that are herbs or nutritional supplements that they can try. And admittedly, they're fairly safe. Um, I would just caution people that are on some prescription medicines. This is where they may want to reach out to a naturopathic doctor or a functional medicine doctor in their area. Um to, you know, make sure that whatever they're going to try taking is safe. So, for example, um, some adrenal supplements have the herb licorice in them. And licorice may raise somebody's blood pressure. So if a person, um, you know, has some sort of heart disease or blood pressure itself, licorice is not going to be a good herb for them to probably be adding if they're on medication for lowering their blood pressure. But there are plenty of other herbs and uh, the book Adrenal Fatigue. Let's see, I think I finally got it now. Uh, there we go. The book is called uh, Adrenal Fatigue, the 21st Century Stress Syndrome. And it was written by... Dr. James Wilson. Excellent. Because, I mean, we all know that when we get that fight or flight mode, those adrenal glands, they start kicking out that cortisol. And that mm -hmm. cortisol, that's, you know, that's what gets us. We either fight, flight, or freeze. And I, I particularly remember this book came in to me very importantly at the, at the time um, because he does a very good job of explaining, outlining 
some of the effects of, of chronic stress when we're living with it for a long period of time, as they would say, 24 by 7, and how that leads into things like uh, anxiety and depression, or that it leads into, um, and I've had this happen to, to a patient where it led to heart irregularities that ultimately led them into developing atrial fibrillation. And, you know, this, this understanding of how stress contributes to these other health factors, um, this is something that I don't really feel modern medicine um, deals with well at all. They'll, they'll go to uh, prescribing something to regulate the heart rhythm and not take into account, you know, how do you deal with the physical stress and the mental stress that this person's been under, because that part has to be backed off too. They just take care of the cardiovascular condition, or they prescribe a prescription medication for anxiety or depression. But if you don't help that person deal with the stress and bring their stress level down and find ways to manage that stress level, they're they're just going to be on that prescription antidepressant or anti-anxiety medicine for a long, long time. Is that something that people come to you uh, wanting to get off of that type of medication? I do have a few, yes, uh, because there are people that do their homework uh, or maybe they've had a good pharmacist who will tell them that this will be good for you in the short term, but you don't want to be on it long term. You know, and here's potentially why. So they're afraid of those side effects. And of course, with um, going back to the increasing um, almost epidemic number of problems with anxiety and depression we're seeing in tween, in teens and young adults, um, you know, there are, it's pretty well known that there are significant risks potentially around suicide and suicidal ideation that can happen with having a teenager or a young adult put on some of the prescription uh, medicines for anxiety and depression. So, you know, when you're dealing just in the mainstream medical system, they really only have one option to give you. And, you know, they call it the standard of care. But treating all of these other elements that you and I have been talking about this afternoon, that doesn't factor into the treatment for the individual, or it very rarely does. Um, and it will only come in more often again if, if a person knows that they need to go to somebody who can help them with that. Well, I ask that question because I have a, a, a fair amount of people that come in that are on anxiety meds, depression meds, even ADHD. I mean, I've seen Adderall be one of the biggest addictions that people struggle with. And they always want to, you know, is there, is there a chance that I can come off my medication? And there certainly is. I've seen people come off it. But I'm the first to say whoever puts you on that medication needs to be the one that, that takes you off of it. Because I do know there's a right way to do it. I don't know what the right way is, but I do know there's a right and a wrong way to do it. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it, it, there's a good practicality to it that you work with the person who, as you say, prescribed the medicine originally. 
because they they've got a responsibility in monitoring monitoring you that they're you're safe. But if you're if they're going to be able to make some changes and come down, and some of those some of those prescription medicines, the people need to wean off them slowly and carefully. So they need the advice of their medical doctor, psychiatrist, and their pharmacist to do that and do that in conjunction with, you know, someone like myself um, so that we're ramping up on one side to take care of maybe where the stress and the anxiety originally came from, but helping that person safely come off the other medication because that's not in my scope of practice to, to guide them on. Right. Well, I think that, you know, more and more people are looking for organic change. They're looking to, I mean, it's like the processed diet. To me, the synthetic chemicals, they kind of have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it says they're not optimal for the body to use, but they're, you know, the, the closest thing. And... um there, there are other alternatives. I'd probably say that's more where I see people is they've been suggested to take prescription medicine and they read about it and they find out there's potential side effects and they're looking for an alternative before they make that final leap. And I always work with my patients to say that that prescription's always there for you to use, but let's see what we can do in two or three months. See yeah. if we can change this picture for you, you know, and you might say 90% of the time we can do that. Well, and that's, I like those odds. Those are pretty mm-hmm. good odds for sure. Yeah. Well, you've worked with a, a variety of conditions. What have you found to be your biggest challenge? Mm, okay. This kind of goes back to the uh, diet and lifestyle question you, we talked about earlier when you were saying you find it hard with some people to get them to change their ways. I, I'm going to be very frank. I find working with people that are struggling with type 2 diabetes to be some of the hardest people to shift and move because they seem to lock themselves in, you know, very firmly to... Um, to their lifestyles and their diets that, you know, and, and I can tell when I'm interviewing them that, yeah, you need to change your diet more than the dietitian told you to do. And, you know, you, you've got to get up and get starting to do some exercise, not doing any exercise is not helping your blood sugar levels. So that that's the condition where I'm, I'm still needing to find how to connect with those people to get their get them convicted to the idea that they need to make those lifestyle changes and not just rely on an increasing load of medicines to keep them safe. Well, and and those lifestyle choices, that's something that I certainly struggle with in my practice, and it's not just that the nutrition but it's sleep, you know, they, the, the younger generation wants to go to sleep with their phone and mm. they get a text and they respond to it. They, they get a notification. Someone's liked them on social media. They have to look at it. There's and then social media. That's that's a lifestyle choice that I think we all. Well, a lot of we people all get. need. Yeah, 
We get yeah, into it. Yeah, we all get it. hit with it. Well, we do, yeah. and, and particularly think about it. We've been in lockdown. What yeah. else did we have to do? Yep. Yeah, and I think, and I have, and I've heard of some examples um, over the past two years where people have bought back into the idea of taking technology breaks. Um, and I certainly, I just did finish a two-week staycation over the the winter holidays, and it was really taking a big break from my daily exposure to technology and. I felt myself winding down, but I often will encourage children and families, do that experiment of just taking a break for a weekend away. Put the phones away, don't watch TV, get the board games out, get your books out and, you know, do some pleasure reading and then see how you feel at the end of that weekend. And then somewhere that becomes that final impetus to, okay, I can take some time away or um, you know, the parents learn that fine, the kids ultimately have to have access to the technology, but at nine o'clock at night, everybody has to come to the kitchen and surrender their devices. You know, we put them away for the night and then you finish your homework, you, you do your reading and you go to sleep and you get a better night's sleep. You absolutely do. And, and, you know, taking a break is the first, the first step is putting it down. It truly yeah. is. Once you put it down, I think a number of people realize how how incredibly easy it can be. We've got a couple of minutes left. If people want to learn more about you or just how do they find you? Are you online? Um, you have a website, right? Yeah, I have a website. It's uh, Touchstone Center, and it's the Canadian spelling of center, so C-E-N-T-R-E. Dot com. So again, touchstonecenter.com. They can go to that and they'll have the contact information. They can send me an email through the website. Um, and I personally follow up on those emails. I'm kind of working virtually with a lot of my practice now working at home. So uh, people who are interested in contacting me, get me you know, straight through, it's, I don't have uh, an admin assistant anymore. So, um, you know, happy to quick, you know, quickly touch base with people, either through an email exchange, or if they give me their phone number, I'll call them and do a 10, 15 minute short consultation. And then we can decide where to go from there. Well, that's great because I think that's what so many people need is is to be able to reach out and get help. And, you know, I encourage people to go to your website and look at some of the blogs. I mm. actually, you know, when I was before we spoke there, I've heard so much about green tea. And <laughs> when mm. I saw that blog, I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to read that and see where we are but, or where I am. But but there is a lot of just good information. Um, you know, there's a good article on gluten-free. So, and how, dealing with allergies and the science between allergies and homeopathy. So, I can't thank you enough, Dr. Clack, for joining me today and just being so open and willing to talk about the we talked about teenagers. We talked about the senior population and certainly the young population. Mm. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
And I know that every our listeners will have each walked away with one pearl. Well, thank you very much, Leah. I appreciate the opportunity to, to join you in this discussion over the last hour and um, hope I can help some of your uh, listeners as well. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio.